You are Locked On Indians, your daily Cleveland Indians podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest edition of Locked On Indians. I am your host, Jeff Ellis of 24-7 Sports. I don't know if you've been following my Twitter recently, but uh, I retweeted an article that a longtime internet friend, Clay Collins, um, tweeted at me. Uh, at Go Tribe 28 Mike Puma, who writes for the New York Post, uh, basically had a, a whole article, and in the middle of that was the idea of the Mets and Indians making sense as a uh, a trade partner. It's more just the the humor that uh, I mean, I've been pushing this for a while, and that uh, that has come up as a possibility uh, now in the, the New York media. I'm not saying I had anything to do with it. I probably didn't. This guy probably doesn't even know I exist. But it's still fun to talk about, and especially because when you look at specifically, you know, they talk about uh, Corey Kluber as a possible trade target. And the idea is Corey Kluber, um, such as for Dominic Smith or J.D. Davis, with perhaps Jed Lauer's contract to lessen the payroll expenditure to acquire the right-hander. That is very, very close to the deal that I came up with, except for I said it would have to be both of them, plus Lowry for um, one of the lesser arms. Kluber probably doesn't carry um, as much long-term value as someone like Plesak, so that's why they're doing that here. But, yeah, it's very similar to what I wrote about and just kind of interesting to see that or maybe even talking about a blockbuster for uh, Lindor in there, which is, again, something I've talked about. And then it ends up talking about Josh Hader and mentions both of the trades that uh, I had brought up on Twitter with that. So that was kind of funny. Again, I'm not implying anything. I'm not saying I got ripped off. Um I'm just saying maybe I started to uh, to make some statements that uh, other people mentioned here or there, and things just keep traveling, 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 and then, uh, yeah, uh, the idea shows up in the New York Post uh, about a week, week and a half, no, about a week since my Mets podcast, so really funny timing, like literally uh, December 8th, I think mine was on a Monday, so that was fun to see that kind of make its way around. I'm going to apologize. I have another head cold, so uh, there's going to be some pausing, there's going to be some breaking, and I will try to not cough on the mic. So let's start with our Indians news. Uh, The first one being that uh, the Indians would prefer to have Jose Ramirez play third base, so if they are going to prefer to keep him there, that means that they're almost exclusively going to be looking at free agent second baseman. Now, they also have Christian Arroyo, uh, to compete for that, Yu Chen Chang to compete there. We'll have to see where they go and what they do. Um, you know, Howie Kendrick is now off the market, but Scooter Gannett is like a buy low guy. Starlin Castro, Estrubal Cabrera, Joe Panic, um, and then the guys I've kind of talked about. You know, uh, Eric Sogard I haven't talked about as much, but uh, just in terms of probably the best players to look at for that position. Um, Yolmar Sanchez, where all defense, almost no bat. Brock Holt, who could play in a variety of places. And then probably the best candidate, which is Cesar Hernandez, who the Phillies just let go. He's probably, I would label, the top second baseman right now on the market, the best guy for the Indians to chase. Problem is he's going to probably require multi-years, and I don't think the Indians want that. Very likely seems to me that they'd be more likely to go after someone like Holt, who could be a short uh, window or could end up uh, playing multiple positions. Estrubal Cabrera, who could be a placeholder. I don't think we're going to see them spend. I think they'll wait and probably offer it to someone like Scooter Gannett, who has a camp invite and a chance to come in and kind of prove himself. 
everything seems to be stacking up that the Indians aren't going to to dive into the feeding frenzy that is free agency. We'll get back to the the feeding frenzy that is free agency in a bit. But let's talk about the other news, which was uh, Anthony Castro. I should know how to pronounce his name. Castro Vince. Uh, I know there's people out there screaming. I'm sorry to everyone who uh, struggle, who hates when I mispronounce names. It is not something I am strong with. I have had friends for 20 years whose last names I still incorrectly pronounce from time to time. Um, that's one of my quirks. Uh, pronunciation is a struggle for me. But he tweeted out on the 9th, which is today, uh, that uh, Brady Aiken is taking time away from baseball. Now, he didn't pitch hardly at all last year. Um, it's not been good. He's not really progressed through the minors at all. Uh, there was some talk that he went to driveline last year to try to kind of try some different approaches, but the Indians are unsure if he'll come back in the spring, and frankly, if he'll come back at all. Uh, that 2015 draft has turned into a bit of a boondoggle. It has been kind of a disaster for the Indians, and that was since 2011. One can make the case that 2015 draft was the best draft we've had in recent memory. Uh, the Indians pick is kind of interesting at 17 because Brady Aiken was there 16, James Caprillion to the Yankees, who um, has also had injuries completely derail him, and then 18, Phil Bickford to the Giants, who also has had a lot of injury issues. Uh, Kevin Newman broke out this year, and then you had a, a lot of guys who have not yet hit the majors. If you were curious, I went and I was able to dig out my big board, which is kind of an accomplishment when you get right down to it because that's uh, from 2015. Uh, my first year working at Scout, and a lot of that early stuff from Scout um, is just gone or doesn't exist anymore. A lot of my things are just in the ether, and I'll never find them again. It's the same problem I have with most of my articles, unfortunately, that I wrote over at Indians Prospect Insider. Um, I'm now thankful for things like Google Docs, but at the time I didn't have that. Switching computers, multiple moves, a habit of not being as good with organization. But I was able to find something. It was actually pretty cool at the time. We had these like little cards we made, some really fancy things you could do that, um, you know, that was almost five years ago, and we can't do that anymore. Uh, I won't even get into the fact that we don't have a uh, any type of archive anymore for baseball, or that you can't even navigate to. Um, my baseball doesn't exist on twenty four seven. You have to know what you're looking for to to actively get there and find it, which is a shame. It's a real shame. I could I could go on for a while. Like I don't want to insult where I work. There's great people, but uh, I, there was a point in time where I got a Google alert for every article I wrote. There was a point in time where um, we had a whole network of writers that supported and helped each other. So everything we wrote, we had an active Slack to talk in. Um, we had connections that were stretched long and wide. I could control who I gave comp accounts to. Um, now it's it's like me, I think the Tigers are still there, and uh, the Indians, and that's, that's all we got left. I won't even go. Well, I will. Um, let's put it this way. The the other big loss was, was my salary, as it is literally cut in half after the move, and that's not because of any other reason than um, subs are a lot more expensive, and we had a lot less people carry over. So that's that's just some uh, inside baseball talk of me waxing poetic about the good old days of Scout.com. But if you're curious, now that I digress enough, uh, my top three players on the board, there was a, a far and away a top guy. There was one top ten player still left on my board in that 2015 draft. There were two other guys that were a little bit further down, um, more in the, the mid-teens. And those two guys were Nick Plummer, who... 
I was I've I've learned my lessons in guys like Nick Plummer, where I really liked what he did in the summer, and then he started to tail off, and I stuck with my gut, and he has it's been he hasn't been good. He's been pretty terrible in the minors. Got up to high A this year, um, age 22. He struggled to hit over 200. So that's what we call a uh, a complete total and utter miss. He was my number two. My number three guy was John Harris, who has also yet to reach the majors. Missouri State. Um, I've seen him a few times in Double A, and he showed some stuff. I thought he would get up there, get a chance this year. But uh, this year there were some health issues, and he only pitched uh, 17 innings. He is a uh, no news. It almost makes me wonder if it's not health if he was just released. But uh, over his minor league career, low walk rate, just wasn't always missing enough bats. Low home run rate, high hit rate. The major guy, though, that was number three. The number one guy on my board by a wide margin was Walker Bueller. And that, that does kind of sting when you think about it that way, that I had Walker Bueller as my number one guy. So I wanted the Indians to grab there. I was okay with Aiken. Uh, I thought it was a great gamble. Upside, I wanted Walker Bueller, but I was okay with Aiken. I even think I kept it in my shadow draft, which I also cannot find. Um, but... It was the first time they took essentially, I mean, at the time he was a, a high school player. Now, you look on the other side of things with Brady Aiken, and uh, the Houston Astros, by not signing Brady Aiken, by him not taking less money to sign, if he had t- signed for less money like the Astros tried, then the Astros would not have gotten um, Alex Bregman. Like, Indians killer Alex Bregman is all because uh, Brady Aiken didn't sign. Uh, what a turnaround for a franchise. I mean, <laughs> from a guy who's never made it, I don't even, let's see, did he make it to high A? We'll, we'll check. I don't think so. I think he's only ever been in short season. He made it to Lake County, low A. Um, so for a guy who only made it to low A before walking away versus uh, a yearly MVP candidate, and then the extra money by having that pick and him signing under and then having another high pick, which he turned to Kyle Tucker, they take both those bonuses and get Daz Cameron. Now, I wasn't as high on Daz Cameron. I'll be honest. I was very low on him compared to most. But uh, Daz Cameron uh, be turned into uh, allowed them to go out and trade for Justin Verlander. He was one of the central pieces in that deal. So, yeah, it's, uh, man, Brady Aiken, not signing Brady Aiken, helped the Houston Astros make their franchise. Like, that made their franchise. And for the Indians, uh, it's just the beginning of what has been an injury-plagued and disappointing draft class. Treat yourself to the meal you deserve. Have one of your favorite restaurants come to you with DoorDash. Right now, you can get $5 off your first order of 15 or more when you download the DoorDash app, quite a mouthful, and enter the promo code LOCKEDON. So DoorDash app, promo code LOCKEDON, get $5 off of your $15 order. So let's go back in this 2015 draft because it's it's a fascinating one for a lot of reasons. So we talked about how my pick for the Indians was Walker Bueller. Um, the Indians took Brady Aiken, and we talked about just how Brady Aiken in 2014 not signing with the Astros kind of changed the entire fortune of the Astros for the better um, to the hindrance of the Indians. Like the Astros knocked the Indians out of the playoff two, two years ago. Do they even have that? Do they get there without... Um, without Bregman do they are they able to knock the Indians out do they have the trade capital to get Verlander or do they have to give up someone else to get Verlander like Forrest Whitley that comes back to haunt them or or uh, Kyle Tucker instead of uh, Daz Cameron because they don't have him just how how everything is 
massively changed by that one pick not signing to the Indians' detriment into the uh, Astros' benefit. But that wasn't the Indians' only first-rounder. Um, they took Tristan McKenzie at 42. He was not in my top 50 that year. And I was pretty honest with my assessment on him, which was I didn't think that his body made sense. Uh, it's just what it got down to. There was no one with his height-build ratios. They just don't exist as a starter. I thought he was going to break down. And he was more present stuff than uh, future projection. Uh you were hoping his fastball would scale. It hasn't. Uh, I was kind of minorly obsessed with uh, Tom Eshelman from uh, from Fullerton at the time. Uh, he would have likely... At that point, it was either just knowing my board, even though I don't have it in front of me. I can look at things and tell you the three guys, most likely. Tom Eshelman, Donnie DeWeese, and Scott Kingery. I, I was pretty big on all three of them. Uh, Kingery, I thought, was on par with... Um, Kevin Newman. I, I would have to really kind of dig to see who I had higher, but it was Newman was really high. Chris Betts, who was a second round pick in that range, was someone else I really liked quite a bit. Donnie DeWeese. I think it would have been Donnie DeWeese. I think Donnie DeWeese is who I took in my shadow draft. As I go back and think about it, I'm pretty sure I took him. Uh, Tom Eshelman was under consideration, but I think it was DeWeese. He was a high level producer in North Florida who I bet on being no worse than a fourth outfielder. That hasn't come to be. But what has come to be is that Tristan McKenzie has not added any velocity, and he's been unable to stay healthy, and he has missed significant time the last two years. Uh, so that, that hasn't worked out really for the Indians as well. Juan Hillman was maybe my favorite pick. They took him in the middle of the second round. He has yet to get above A ball. Uh, I was totally on board with that pick. Uh, the other only other guys I probably would have considered is really high on Jemai Jones and Kevin Kramer from UCLA. Those names really stand out in terms of the guys I was kind of really pushing hard for at that point in the draft. I did have a pair of sleepers there, though, that uh, both turned out really well. Brandon Lowe from Maryland, who uh, I just loved his production. And for the same reason, Harrison Bader, who uh, I wrote one of my first draft profiles when I came to scout on him. Just The, the whole profile was basically this idea that... Uh, he play, Here's an outfielder who's showing massive improvements in his junior year, and nobody's talking about it. He's playing for one of the top uh, programs in the country at Florida that has a ton of eyes on it every game, and he's just pretty consistently overlooked. Uh, so that kind of was one of those where I was, I was minorly... Uh, I was pleasantly surprised when we went in the third round. I knew I didn't really have him as like a, a day-one pick, but I thought that was a very astute pick when he got selected in the third round. If you're curious, the Indians took Mark Matthias in the third round. Um, we're able to just trade him for an interesting catching prospect, but not much else there. You continue on, Tyler Krieger in the next round. Paul DeJong, Willie Calhoun were kind of the big guys to go in the fourth round that year. And the fifth round for the Indians... Well, in terms of production, let's get to that. Chance Adams is a big name. Trent Thornton has performed. Ryan Burr. Uh, Ryan, I always get his name wrong. Hazley. The Cardinals really, uh, outside of the first round, struck gold in this draft. The Indians' fifth rounder was Kaye Tom, who we'll see if he's still with the team after the Rule 5 draft. Jonas Wyatt is already uh, no longer with the team. Nathan Lukes in the next round. They traded for Brandon Geyer, who is frankly turned into the most valuable asset from this trade so far. Uh, Devin Stewart and Billy Strode were a pair of senior signs that did not last long with the organization. 
11th round pick Chandler Newman, rare guy who doesn't sign in the 11th round. They took Ryan Perez, the switch pitcher out of Judson, who was one of my other guys I wrote a, a profile on very quickly. And my whole take on him was he's a left-handed pitcher. He's not really... Uh, he's a low-level guy who can't get guys out from the right side, and he was released very quickly. Daniel Salters has retired. Matt Esparza is just kind of around. Uh, it was reported they signed Daniel Sprinkle, and then they didn't. Kobe Vance went on to Auburn to be quite good. In the 17th round was Nick Madrigal. That hurts because instead they gave the money. They were debating between him and Luke uh, Wakamatsu, who they took in the 20th. Wakamatsu was rated higher pretty much everywhere else. So Sam Hegarty, they used as a trade asset. Uh, Connor Maribel is still around. But, yeah, you go through this draft. Uh, you know, then there's some other, like, next year, Brandon Webb would be drafted. Tristan English was just taken. Garrett Wolford, Andrew Cabeza, a lot of guys. Chandler Day, uh, Dylan uh, Persinger, they would end up eventually getting their man there. But, yeah, the, as on the whole... They this draft that they were really praised as a top five draft at the time and the only player to reach the majors in their entire draft class is Sam Hagerty. And the only value they've gotten in terms of, you know, even trading assets in terms of major league production was flipping Nathan Lukes for Brandon Geyer. Um, the top two picks have had injury issues that have derailed them and then just underperformance and you know, I, I was high on Matthias, I was high on Krieger in the, the lower levels, I was high on Esparza, but they all hit double A and kind of turned into pumpkins. They, that's, you know, this is one of those classes that taught me the value of upper level minor league production. I mean, I, I, I always knew it was the case, but when these guys got up there, you really saw that uh, there was a distinct difference and it kind of made me change my evaluation approaches. On the whole, it's, there's not a lot of guys you have a lot of hope for turning into something at this point. I mean, maybe Connor Maribel becomes a, a fourth outfielder. He's likely a quad A guy. You hope McKenzie can get it together. Um, but really, the rest of this class is just kind of minor leakers. It's they they had two picks in the top fifty and three in the three in the top sixty and four in the top one hundred, and they got really nothing to show for it. And this is one of those classes that really kind of, you look at it now, it it upended what had been a really productive run for them. Because you go back to 2011, and you've got, you know, that's of course the greatest draft maybe arguably in Indians <laughs> history. Uh, Lindor, Haas, and then, you know, Cody Anderson had some value. I always, uh, Cody Allen signs, becomes the, the greatest reliever in, in team history. There's a lot of more interesting guys. But just in terms of players making the majors, they had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, seven players make the majors. That's that's a really strong class. Of course, Lindor is definitely the centerpiece. 2012, uh, Naquin and Wendell, that's it. So that class, yeah, that was another bomb of a class. 2013, where they had Frazier and then nothing because of their free agent signings, uh, it, it it's interesting to kind of look at these now because you know Ben Heller has gone to the Yankees as part of the both Heller and Frazier same class were part of that uh, Andrew Miller deal Cole Solcer went to Tampa a year ago had some success but they've really kind of struck out to minor degrees 2014 draft you have Greg Allen Bobby Bradley Justice Sheffield and Bradley Zimmer but I mean that year they had five top 100 picks um Grant Hawken never could stay healthy and get it together. Mike Pappy, uh, 
uh, didn't know how to use his lower body super well. Was another one of those Virginia busts. Sheffield, we're still not sure about. Zimmer, we're not sure about. It, you know, the Indians were just horrible at the draft. They were. They were the second worst team in baseball behind the Reds. I have a whole article on that, which I was able to save and put back up at points. And then they started to have a pretty good run. But what you kind of realize going back and looking at it as it wasn't really a good run. It was two or three good years and then a lot of eh. And on the whole, they're. When they were at their peak, when the Indians were really succeeding, they had a lot of prospects and a lot of major league guys coming out of day three. They were able to kind of find some of those guys. And you go and you look at 2016. That's that's their most successful draft since 2011. The other thing about 2011 is I believe that was also the Clevenger draft, so they traded for a guy from the 2011 class. Um, but you look at here, it's you know Saval, Bieber, and Plesak. Uh Benson looks like all the bits of a bust. Uh, they do have Nolan Jones, but Logan Ice didn't work out. Ulysses Cantu, Andrew Landtrip, who's another guy in that same mold of all the other arms that have been successful. But, you know, 2016 worked. 2015, we as we stated, not really. 2014, uh, you know, maybe, but not really. There's, I don't think we know that there's anyone from that 2014 draft who's a regular MLB player. 2013... Same thing. I don't know if there's anyone from that class who counts as a regular MLB player. 2012, same thing. You don't have anyone that you look back and say, for sure, that guy can be a regular everyday starter. So 2011 is that first year with Lindor and Cody Allen. You have two guys, you're like, yes, those are everyday players. Until 2016, they don't have another one. That's five years between, with a lot of draft picks to do the competitive balance ones. So I guess my question begins, like... We gave, myself included, starting around 2007, give the Indians a lot of credit for their drafting. Um, They started to really change things. I'm sorry, 2008. They started to take a few more risks. Uh, They found some guys in day three. You know, someone like Roberto Perez was in in 2008. Lonnie Chisholm worked out as a first rounder. Zach Putnam, they traded away too early, but he had a, a successful career. 2009, sure, White didn't work out, but Kipnis did. Uh... Max Muncy was a, a day two pick there. And, and one of the great kind of like Vidal Nuno was a 48th round draft pick. That doesn't even exist anymore. Uh, got released pretty quickly by the Indians, but managed to turn himself into a, a guy who's pitched a lot of games in the majors, uh, been a successful left-handed pitcher. 2010, Drew Pomeranz worked out. Tony Walters has worked out. None, neither of those with the Indians. They let Cody Allen walk. Uh, they actually signed him the next year. The rest of that draft, not so much. But then you go to 2011 with the Lindor pick. And what I'm getting at here is the Indians were, as I stated, one of the worst in baseball drafting. They couldn't turn a first-round pick into an everyday player to save their life. Um, b- between Manny Ramirez and CC Sabathia, I don't think there was one first-rounder who turned into an everyday player. And then between Sabathia and... And was it really until Lindor that it took for the Indians to get another regular? I mean, Jeremy Guthrie was a first-rounder, but he didn't make it with the Indians. But they couldn't get anything. And until Jason Kipnis, the second round was even worse. Uh, they could not land a player in the second round who could start for them to save their life. It was it was, it was was the de- complete dead zone. Uh, they'd gotten some guys who were at least okay first-round picks. I think Paul Shuey was after Ramirez and before... Um, was he before Ramirez? I can't remember. But he's about that same time. 
but they could occasionally stumble upon someone who was a useful player, maybe not a regular in the first round, but the second round they couldn't. None of the guys even made it to the majors for a long stretch. So when you go from a, a team that's that bad at the draft, that is one of the worst ones, when they all of a sudden rise to average or mediocrity, it seems ginormous. That increase is huge. So maybe we gave the Cleveland Indians a little too much credit for their drafts over the years. Now we're kind of looking at this and seeing that, yeah, they're not hitting even 30% of the time on those first rounders. That you go back since Lonnie Chisenhall, uh, you got Drew Pomeranz, who's a top five pick, so you better be successful there. You have uh, Francisco Lindor, who's a regular. And, I mean, dude. Lonnie Chisholm was a regular for some of the time, not really consistently. And Pomeranz wasn't even consistently a regular for most of his career. Now he's finally found a role in the pen. But you have Lindor, and since then, Naquin, who's a fourth outfielder, really. Clint Frazier, who can't establish himself in the majors. Bradley Zimmer, who can't stay healthy. Uh, Brady Aiken and Tristan McKenzie, who can't stay healthy. 2017, uh, Quinton Holmes, well, I didn't have a first rounder, but Quinton Holmes in the second round has looked over, over, overmatched. 2018, you've got Bo Naylor, who's, who's shown something, so I'll have to see. Anyway, missed over Will Benson as we we're going through. My point is, though, since uh, Sabathia, have we really hit on the first round outside of Lindor? And I don't think we have. And like I said, it's just interesting because I was with everyone else. I thought that they were one of the best teams when it came to the draft for the longest time. And I now kind of need to update my old article. That's what this is making me do. I need to go back and start plugging in even more data and seeing if the Indians rise up, if they are still the second worst team in uh, aggregate war of all players drafted, not just signed because that was easier to do at the time. But looking at the aggregate war of all players and seeing, you know, are they better, or are they just... I mean, all teams are better at drafting over the last 10 years. We've seen that. Teams are better at prognosticating and better at predicting and better at drafting and, and seeing guys move up the ladder. So are the Indians improved, or are they just moving up at the same rate as everyone else? When you really start looking at these classes, um, and that's what happened when I saw the Brady Aiken news, uh, it makes you think that, no, I mean, this is still a team where... Uh, very, very few guys in the Indian starting lineup were draft picks. The pitching staff does have some. Uh, last year we saw more. But you've got a catcher who was a draft pick they didn't trade for and a shortstop. And that's it. You, you look at their projected outfield. Every single guy signed or traded for. The rest of their infield signed, traded, or international free agent in Jose Ramirez's case. Uh it, it's just kind of interesting to look at that and realize that for as much as the Indians have come forward, uh, the draft is still perplexing. I went long because I could talk about the draft all day. Um, thank you all for listening, rating, and reviewing. Uh, very much appreciated. I hope everyone was curious to talk about the draft. I didn't even talk about Steven Strasburg and his massive contract so quickly here at the end. Massive contract. It's going to get really interesting once Garrett Cole drops because... All of a sudden, someone's going to massively overpay for Ryu or Madison Bumgardner. Uh, either the Angels or the Yankees are going to throw all their money at one of those guys the minute Cole signs with the other. And then whoever's left standing, the White Sox are going to throw a $100 million plus at. And then at that point, what do the Twins do? Uh, because once you get past those 
three guys. The next guy up is, is either Wade Miley, Dallas Keuchel, or Tanner Rourke. So it's it's going to be a big drop-off. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see uh, Strasburg signing. It's very interesting also from the perspective that the Nationals go for pitching. I mean, they keep their pitchers. They signed Scherzer. They signed Corbin as free agents. And they very much then kind of like to pick at the bottom of the market for their batters. And there's logic to this. It's easier to kind of get league average to slightly above league average bats than it is to find league average starting pitching. So they invest their money there, and then they kind of jump around and see what's available. And that was a team that was scrapped together, if you look at it. Yes, there are the stars in place, some of the young players. But Howie Kendrick, you know, Estrubo Cabrera, a lot of these guys were not, uh, were scrap heaps. So the Nationals are a, a higher functioning version of the Indians in some regards, where they, they use the scrap heap as well as uh, free agency. Again, I want to thank everyone for listening. I know, super long, but if you let me talk about the draft, I'm going to go all night. Thanks for your for recent, recent ratings and reviews. It's nice to not see a two-star anymore on Stitcher. Again. Thank you for listening, and as always, Go Tribe!